Welcome to the family with Andy Rampernard. Uh, Nick did not come in today. I haven't heard from him. Though. We, we didn't hear anything from no, him. No, I don't we? know why he didn't come in. Yeah, I didn't uh, get a message from him, and you didn't either, so I don't know why he didn't come in. But Someone check Facebook, and I'm sure he'll yeah, have said. that's true. He likes to talk Going to, to Iowa to find a one in a million motorcycle. They only made 16 of them. Probably true. Probably true. But Alex is at uh, Fawny's graduate from, graduation from kindergarten and uh, or preschool, I guess it is. And Catherine is with her father at an appointment. So it's Andy and me, but we got a special guest coming up right after this with the family. Tommy, it's quiz time. Ooh, I love quiz time. Let me guess. Breck called and they want their diploma back. Easy. I earned that fair and square. In fact, it's right. Ah, well, look what you made me do. Sorry. So what's the question? So you've heard about the new car inventory shortages, right? Yeah, you've mentioned it about a million times. Guess how many 2021 Rogues we have in stock at Burnsville Nissan and Coon Rapids Nissan? Mm, seven. Close. The actual number is 209. A lot of Nissan dealers are really low, but we're in good shape for the next month or so. So there's no reason to hurry? That's not great messaging. How about don't dawdle? There's a word you don't hear often there, Monty Burns. Yeah, funny. Anyway, the all-new 2021 Rogue is a great vehicle, and we're lucky enough to have a bunch. We've got great leases, and they all come with Walzer Care, which is a 10-year warranty for free. But wait, there's more. Read this. Coon Rapids Nissan and Burnsville Nissan want your trade and will give you an extra $1,000. That's pretty cool. Go to Coon Rapids Nissan or WalzerNissan.com for details. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who've been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this. If the adjuster really, truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my question is you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Tom Bernard here with my friend John Schwartz, co-owner of AAA Movers, a family-owned part of the Metro since 1964. John, this isn't your first barbecue or a rodeo, is it? You know what, Tom? AAA Movers has been moving Minnesota for over 56 years. Our family business has gone from two trucks to over 50 and proud to say that we're the number one moving company in Minnesota. We believe our success has been earned with time and trust by our customers. Our number one referral is former clients. So maybe it's time you call AAA. If you or someone you care about needs to move from here or there, even if that there is on the other side of the country. I wish I was moving today. If you are, mention Tom Bernard or KQ and you'll get a free moving box kit with every move and you'll save 50 bucks off with removal from junk luggers. Your move is always triple guaranteed with AAA Movers. That's their price guarantee, safety guarantee, and satisfaction guarantee. Call 612-588-MOVE or online at aaamovers.com. AAA Movers. You may not move every day, but they do. We're rocking out, man. That's all I know. We're just flat out rocking out. There's no question about it. In any case, ladies and gentlemen, looking at the uh, kind of news headlines for today, and it's the same story. And again, I bounce from CNN's website to Fox's website to uh, Newser. I go to all these different websites to try to find some balance to the story. So what I'll do is I'll take little bits from each website and try to form some, uh, some kind of truth from it, which is not that easy to do, by the way. No, it's not. Because when you go to Fox and then you go to CNN, CNN to Fox, whichever way you go, it doesn't matter because they are so far apart, it's really hard to find anything that the story would have in common, which makes it very difficult to find the, true, the truth from the story because they are so far apart, it's really hard to tell where the truth is, you know. Uh, this is kind of cold. Greg Gutfeld, who I'm not a fan of, by the way. I don't care for him. He's too weird for me. 
But this is a good line. Blue states are losing people quicker than CNN's prime time. <laughs> That's kind of cool. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. CNN's uh, just tanking. From what I hear, Greg Gutfeld is a good writer, but he lacks the charisma to, like, you know, back it up. Oh, is that what but it is? Then okay. again, he is also one of the most popular shows on national media, so I don't know. Maybe, yeah. Maybe the joke's on me. Well, nationally, a lot of people nationally love quirky people, and he comes across as very He's, quirky. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so the, they do like quirky people. He's a very smart guy. Um, no question about that, but it, it just... Uh, he was on The Five, right? Yeah, he's still on The Five, yep. Oh, that's he, the only uh, Fox yeah. show I can actually name other than Tucker Carlson does whatever. Tonight, yeah. Tonight? Oh. Tucker Carlson tonight, you got... Uh, yeah, I, I don't watch any of the other ones. <clears throat> I watch a little bit of The Five once in a while. Um, what's the guy's name? Brett... Uh, Brit, what the hell's his name? Brit Eklund? No, that was a woman. What's Can't be Brit Eklund. What station? Uh, on Fox, he does the show just before. No, the t- Brett Bayer. Bayer. Brett Bayer. Yeah, there you go. He's pretty good. He's pretty straight ahead. You don't hear him lying a whole lot. And then there's a young African American man that just took over a spot before Tucker Carlson. He's pretty good too. You know. And then you got others, uh, you know, like on CNN, they got a couple of good people. The problem that CNN's got right now is that, that they, you know, they've tanked so badly. And now they got to deal with Chris Cuomo's thing with his brother, you know, advising his brother, which you have no business doing if you're on national news and your brother's the governor. We should maybe uh, avoid doing that kind of thing. Like I said, they all do it. They're going after Chris Cuomo right now, which they should because he's a jerk, but... Remember, he's the guy that showed us how to work out when you've got COVID. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Remember that? He was, Let me show you how to lift weights. And they showed him doing, like, one-arm uh, tricep presses with, about, like, 150 pounds. Like, yeah. give me a break. Whatever. Yeah, there's no way. I think, I think isn't that like a world record? I think the world record is, like, a buck 30. We could look that up. The, one, the one-arm tricep uh, raise, I think, is 130 pounds is the world record. And it, but he was also doing bicep curls, and I know that that's not much more than about a buck thirty. That's a lot of weight, man. That's a lot, a lot, a lot of weight. What do you got? Let's see here. I can see the picture, but I, I can't identify weights by their. Oh no! I just thought we could look up by the, visual. Look up the stats instead of the news story. Oh, here we go. It's a, he had a hundred pound dumbbell. Hundred pound dumbbell. It was officially declared fake, but. Oh, was it already? Yeah, it was a fake, uh, a fake weight. I wonder if it was supposed to be a joke. I really don't no. know. No, it wasn't supposed to be. But a joke. yes, it was a one hundred pound dumbbell, um, and he was doing what is that exercise the called? Tricep, tricep extension. Tricep extension world yeah. record. Let's see here. It's got to be about a buck thirty, or at the most, I would say. Because that is a lot of weight to be... It's 165. Is it really? Holy Hannah. Yeah, apparently. People have gotten a bit stronger since Uncle Tommy was going at it hard. (laughs) Holy Hannah, I didn't know it was that high. Well, but again, is that using like some sort of uh, special equipment or what? Well, if you're wearing a weightlifting jacket like they do to bench bench presses, I mean, the bench press world record now is 1,150 pounds because they wear that lifting jacket. So it's they're not actually lifting all that weight exactly with their own stability. It's They've created stability, which is cheating. Well, this guy has a YouTube video of him doing 17 reps with 150. So, yeah. One, a guy does? Yeah. He, is he a very big guy? Uh, not particularly, no. So he's not real muscular? I mean, he's muscular, sure, but he's not like, you know, Mr. Universe or anything. Really? Yeah. Yeah, weights, well, like I said, I think when I first started lifting weights as a teenager, if I remember correctly, like the world record bench press was around 405 pounds. It was not very much. Steroids have come a long way. They have. It's now 745 pounds heavier than that. So, mm-hmm. yes, they've come a real long way. Yeah, there's absolutely no way these yeah, people no aren't way. juicing to some degree. Exactly. You're cheating your ass off, exactly. no question about it. I mean, for the average I think the average person can only curl, bicep curl, at like 20 pounds, I think. No. I can curl way more than 20 pounds, and I am not strong. You can? Yeah. 
You can do bicep curls in more than 20, more than, I'm not talking about one rep, I'm talking about multiple reps. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, it depends on how many reps you're talking about. Yeah, that's true. Apparently a normal bicep curl, one rep max, uh, 60? That sounds about right. Your mm, 60s, that's pretty, the most I've ever done is 55, so, I, and I was not in any... That's like the top for a normal person, so oh, no, not yeah, a okay. professional well, athlete. Okay, so that does make sense because my most I ever did was like fifty-five, and they, you're saying the most that anybody else has ever done is like sixty as a non-professional weightlifter. Exactly. And I was nowhere near as strong as some people, so don't get me wrong. There are fellows out like Scott Studwell I know could bench and, and bicep curl a ton of weight. He was man, that guy oh, was I'm put sure. together. There's no doubt. You want to uh, see if we can track down our guest? Sure. So get that. It's about that time to to see if we can track the doctor down, see what he's up to. Should be a pretty interesting conversation. Doctor Ian Jenkins is his name. Uh, families come in all forms, but parental love is universal. As a closeted teen, Ian wondered if he would ever be able to live openly with a male partner. Years later, he had not one but two partners in a po- uh, polyamorous troop. Uh, thruple? I've never heard of a thruple. So instead of a couple, it's a thruple. What more could he ask for? But something was still missing. Join Ian and his partners, Alan and Jeremy, as they embark on a sometimes hilarious, sometimes tearful quest to become parents. They run the gauntlet, IVF failures, the threat of Zika virus, the urgent hunt for a, for a new doctor, pregnancy-threatening uh, bleeds, costly legal uh, battles, and a reluctant superior court judge. Ultimately, the grace of women, embryo doctors, their egg donor, their surrogate, even a surprise milk donor, allowed them to complete their family with one perfect girl, to become the first polyamorous family ever. So that's good. Is Dr. Jenkins ready to go? Yep. Doctor, how are you today? Doing well. How are you? Magnificent, as a matter of fact. Well, now that you're here, even better than that. But you know <laughs> what I'm saying. Uh, three Dads and a Baby Adventures in Modern Parenting. We're just talking about the fact that you, along with uh, Alan and Jeremy, are the, the first polyamorous family ever named as the legal parents of a child. Um... You know, I, I, do you mind if I start out, uh, because the descriptor starts out uh, talking about you as a closeted teen. So I would like to start there, if you don't mind. Is that all right? Sure. <clears throat> what amazes me about this, Dr. Jenkins, is the fact that when I was 25, I guess about it was, I, I started, 24, I think it was 24, I started doing voiceover. And, um, and at 18, I was in radio. I got in my first radio job I was 18, about to turn 19. So I have, throughout my life, worked with a lot of gay people, uh, gay men. Mo- most of the agents and voiceover and, uh, you know, the record business and all that kind of stuff um, are either women or gay men. And I do remember, and, and matter of fact, Scott, my, my agent in New York, my God, what a sense of humor that man had. Holy God, what a sense of humor. But I don't, here's what I don't understand. Uh, and, you know, this is not just about, you know, being uh, being gay or, or lesbian or straight or anything. It's just about I'm trying to figure out, Dr. Jenkins, why I would I would care if anybody was gay or black or white or straight. Why why do people care about that so much? You know, it is a big mystery, but I think humans are just really good at putting people in boxes and establishing hierarchies yeah. to have power yeah. and control. Um, it does seem silly now, but like looking back at when I was a teenager, I thought for sure we would never have gay marriage equality and that I, I wasn't even sure I'd be able to be out and just honest about who I was, even to my family um, and friends. So the world has changed really fast for um, LGBTQ people, and that's been fantastic. Uh, we have a ways to go. I honestly wish that things would change this quickly for racism and sexism and other problems we have, which have been around you know, and, and like a known problem for a lot longer. Um, for me, I think the homophobia really comes from people who are uncomfortable with anything but traditional family dynamics yeah. and gender roles. Yeah, I suppose. Just like, you know, women can wear pants, but men can't wear dresses to work. That would be a catastrophe. It's this idea that uh, if men are feminine or woman-like in any way, that they've been violated or reduced. And I think fundamentally that all sort of stems from sexism. You know what's funny about that, Doctor, is the fact that I'm a, I'm a rather large guy. I was a competitive weightlifter for years. I've gotten a bit older now, if you know what I'm saying. But uh, I was raised by women. My mother, 
Uh, my father was institutionalized. My mother and my two older sisters raised me. And to this day, Dr. Jenkins, and I, you know, I'm very open about this. I will take orders from women that I would never think of taking from a man. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. It's in my brain that women tell me what to do and men don't. It's just the way I was raised. That makes sense, doesn't it? It is. It really comes down to how we're raised. Yeah. Um, we get these things ingrained in our heads, and then the ones that we were taught that weren't so good, we have to learn to toss them out. Well, exactly. But, yeah, so, so pretty much every, every agent I, I've ever had was either a woman or a gay man. I never a problem. It, I guess it all boils down to, Dr. Jenkins, the fact that people get offended now and they get their feelings hurt. But if I don't know you, why do I care what you think? Unless you've got a big group of people carrying torches, I really don't give a damn what you think because I don't even know you, right? I mean, generally, I support that. I really don't care what other people think about us, right. except that, you know, one of the things we considered is if we're going to have a poly kid and the kid's going to have three dads, is that kid going to get teased? We can't control the larger world. Yeah. So we yeah. really did have to make sure we lived in a welcoming community and we chose, um, you know, to be here. It wasn't an accident that we're in California. And it was actually that decision that made it possible for us to become, you know, on the birth certificate. If we had decided to live in Alabama, this, this would, not have, uh, yeah. would not have worked out. Might have been a little different there, Ian. <laughs> Just maybe. I don't know. I've not spent a lot of time in Alabama, so I shouldn't judge them either. But it just it amazes me that you want to wear a dress to work? Go ahead. I don't care. You want to do this. You want to have. You're attracted to women. You're attracted to men, whatever. I got no, I've no I don't care. You know, I got raked over to Coles one time because I was sent a picture. This is God, 10, 15 years ago. It was a long time ago. But I was sent a picture uh, of this person on Twitter. And I typed in, it was a very attractive woman. Well, it turned out the guy, it was a guy. But I didn't know it was a guy. I thought it was a woman. So let me ask you a question, Dr. Jenkins. The fact that I thought it was a woman and said, he's a very pretty woman, they thought I was making fun of him because it was a guy. But I wasn't because I actually thought it was a woman. Why do people want to jump over that, uh, jump over that fence and just, um, I, I have to assume you're being mean to someone. Why do they have to do that, sir? Well, I don't know that they have to, but I think a lot of people come from a lifetime of experience being, you know, discriminated against, picked on, or other things. And so, um, you know, there, there are certainly um, things that can touch people who've had that experience the wrong way, mm-hmm. and they can be sensitive to I try to recognize that they may have a life experience that, you know, an unintended uh, comment might actually be harmful to them or or hurtful to them um, and just try to be cognizant of that and kind of move on. And this can happen really easily with someone who is transgender. If people make a mistake about their gender, that's very common. And the trans people know this. They're not expecting perfection. And the thing to do at that period is to say, oh, my apologies, I'm sorry, and then immediately start correcting yourself and using their pronouns or um, the, the chosen name that they have, whatever the case may be. But, you know, none of us are perfect. We're going to slip up and step on each other's toes. Right. Uh, I think the solution is just to, um, you know, acknowledge it and, and then move on the way the person wants to be treated. See, so, Dr. Jenkins, some people think I'm a jerk, but as it turns out, I'm a great guy. So they just... Hey, right? some guys are pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, that's true. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But, so where did you grow up, Dr. Jenkins? Uh, you know, I, I was born in... Um, the East Coast, and grew up in Columbia, Maryland, ended up in then Pennsylvania with my mother for some time, and then eight years of school at the University of Virginia, which at the time was not a welcoming place at all. Oh, really? Um, I had some death threats, and I got assaulted uh, once there, was threatened by somebody with a weapon as well. Um, so that was that was kind of like an unwelcoming place, and I realized at that point, I'm like, you're an adult, Ian, why don't you move? Um, and so I left yeah. Central Virginia for Boston, which was just like night and day. Like no, nobody at the medical center there cared sure. in the slightest. Um, and I just felt like I was like left-handed, you know, which has always been my goal. Um, you know, I, I'm obviously we're slightly different, um, but it doesn't matter. And that's to me, it's like left-handed is the great analogy for that. So I was left-handed in Boston and really didn't have to think about anything. And I've been left-handed in um, California as well. Uh, we are you know, out to everyone here. Um, I am out as Polly, so are my partners to all of our workplaces. Nobody cares. Right. I actually was delighted to get a series of emails from the executive team at my facility 
uh, after they heard about my book, saying, like, if we didn't have a pandemic, we'd do a book signing for you, so proud of you, this is great, and, like, not a shred of judgment, because, again, it doesn't matter. If people are being good, and we're taking great care of these kids, and, you know, being honest and supportive and mm-hmm. compassionate towards each other and to everyone else, who cares if there's three dads or two or one and, or two women? It, it just doesn't really matter. There's bigger problems we have to solve in society. Yeah, no quite. Like, for instance, you already brought this up, but I, I am not the kind of guy you want to see in a dress. I'm just telling you. I wouldn't mind wearing one, but I just wouldn't look that good. You want to be as attractive as you can, don't you? Well, um, that's a personal choice, I guess. You know, uh, some people, <laughs> yes, you know, there's a yes, whole range of styles at work. Some people dress and they're kind of like really snappy dressers. And I'm just kind of like, you know, I, I like their clothes that fit, uh, that, yes. are, that are not foreign. Yes. But um, I, I focus more on the work than other things. Everyone's got their own style. And I think it's a delight to see people that have done something interesting with their style or their hair. And, mm-hmm. um, other people make their impact with their, their words or their clinical work at my job. So. It's all good. It is indeed. We're talking to Dr. Ian Jenkins about his new book, Three Dads and a Baby, Adventures in Modern Parenting. It's available on Amazon and everywhere. It's available everywhere, as a matter of fact. Uh, Families do come in all forms, but parental love is universal. I love the fact that your descriptor starts with that sentence because parental love, I'm in a situation right now. Today is uh, is my oldest granddaughter's uh, birthday. She turned five today. I love my wife. I love our son, who's on the show today with us. Our daughter and my wife are usually on the show, but uh, they're at the graduation from from preschool for little Fawny, who turns five today. I love them all the same. I love my wife. I love my son, my daughter, my grandkids. Uh, what you just said there, families come in all forms, but parental love is universal. It's a very, very important thing to talk about, doctor, don't you think? Uh, I do, and I think one of the things I want to stress about that is we really chose that word deliberately. Yeah. Um, you know, I've even seen just in the last couple of days lots of discussions about um, whether we should say that taking care of children is, is motherly or a, a female trait or things like that, and I, absolutely not. I think in our society we teach so many men that, you know, they're supposed to be breadwinners and a little bit of loose and cold, and uh, for us, you know, we just really want to emphasize that Loving children, taking good care of them, being affectionate with them, saying that you love them, that's not a mom thing at all. That's no. a parent thing, uh, or at least it should be. And, and we're working sure, to make sure that our kids feel like loved and supported um, by all of their dads kind of continuously and have a healthy emotional life as a result of that. Yeah, no question. So it's just a joy to do as well. I mean, I, I actually didn't think I was going to be a baby person, but then I turned out to be. <laughs> right. Uh, I thought I'd be maybe interested in the kids, but not the baby, but... The babies were just so cute, and making them feel loved, and the, like the weight of a child that touching you is like one of the greatest things. You know, Ian, uh, my son Andy, as I said, is the engineer and one of the people on the show here. Andy's with us today. Andy, do you ever remember a time when I didn't tell you I loved you? I don't. No. I mean, I love my son. I love my daughter. I love my wife. I... Uh, the one thing I will tell you, though, Dr. Jenkins, that was very uncomfortable is Andy was born first, and our daughter was born a couple years later. But the day that Andy was born and they handed Andy to me, just like in your case, I'm sure, you held this baby and you went, oh, my God, I've got this thing that I got. I have to protect this little thing from everybody and everything. It put me on edge like there's no tomorrow, Ian, seriously, <laughs> because you love them. So the second you touch them, you love them. It's wonderful. It is wonderful. I've heard people say that uh, love, especially love for a child, is the combination of joy and terror. That's <laughs> exactly what I'm talking about, Doctor Jenkins. It was it was terrifying because you kind of wonder, am I going to be good enough at this? Am I am I a good dad? Am I going to be a good dad? It's a very very important thing. Now, when do you mind just giving? I mean, you don't have, obviously it's it's up to you. But the first name of your child, obviously, if, if you don't want to give it, I understand. No, it's it's in a book. So oh, it's, it's in the book. Okay. Yeah, no, no, we had a whole chapter on how we named the kids, uh, maybe two, I think. But anyway, uh, yeah, her name is Piper, and um, uh, her brother's name is Parker. And uh, I'm, I'm only 10% getting them confused right now. I'm sure that'll pick up as they... <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. That's a good thing. Um, but yeah, we, we, um, we initially were going to go with um, Harper and uh, sort of honor the author, but that, that name exploded. Yeah. So we, we shifted gears um, and kept something that was uh, easy to pronounce, not too complicated, a little bit different, but not strange, was kind of what we were going for with these names. No, I think it's absolutely wonderful. You know, it's, it's great, uh, Ian, because listening to you talk about uh, about the children, 
You can just tell in your voice. You could always tell in somebody's voice if they really do love their children or if it's kind of like, yes, I, I love my children. You know, it's kind of something they say. But I can tell by the way you talk about them, your experience. Um, now, was your relationship uh, where it is today when you adopted the children? Or you didn't, well, you didn't, you went through all kinds of things, didn't you? You went through, uh, in your book, I, I believe you talk about going, uh, going through all kinds of things with as far as embryo donors and egg donors and surrogates and you know, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, uh, quite a journey. Yeah, um, yeah. With, with the, I gotta, first off, I got to thank all the women because it was yeah. two women that donated embryos to us at first. And then when we had to make embryos, we had a wonderful egg donor. We had a wonderful surrogate. We've had a second wonderful surrogate. We had this wonderful uh, milk donor. Uh, and almost everyone that's ever, like, stopped to ask if we need help or, or to say something pleasant in the airport or wherever we are, it's like women. Women are amazing. Uh, we should put them in charge of the country. Um, <laughs> so that's all I wanted to say about that. But, um, yes. yeah, I mean, with the number of different interactions we had to have with all the different um, parties involved and because my partners and I are not legally married, so we're sort of legally separate entities. Mm-hmm. We all had to have separate legal arrangements with every woman that we were working with. Um, and then a parenting agreement and a bunch of other nonsense. We had at least, like we lost track, but at least like 24 different contracts or legal um, relationships that we had to have to, to get these kids. That's I think just to get Piper. So there was an, another layer to get Parker. Um, but yeah, it was, it was quite a challenge. And there were also a number of medical setbacks. We had oh. a crazy experience where the doctor we were working with uh, invented this tall tale as to why um, she couldn't work with us, and it was only by the craziest coincidence that I was able to determine that that story had been made up, and oh, um, you know, we fled ship and went, went somewhere where we were more welcome. Just lots and lots of crazy stuff, but uh, it all ends well. I don't think that's a secret. We have two beautiful children. They're healthy. They're happy. Um, they got abundance of love at least three parents at all times, and our bio mom visits regularly and also communicates and supports them from afar. So these are well-resourced, happy children. That is a terrific thing. Do you have 10 more minutes? I, I do have to take a quick break. Uh, would like to keep you for about 10 more if you can do it. Yeah, I'll be here until just a few minutes before 11, and then i got to chair a hospital committee. Okay, so we can have you five more minutes. After the break, we'll come back for just a couple of minutes because I want to wrap it up and thank you for, for sure. appearing today. We'll be right back with Dr. Ian Jenkins. The book is called Three Dads of the Baby Adventures and Modern Parenting. Right back with Dr. Ian Jenkins. Tom here for Shift Real Estate. Last year, about this time when we were making plans for Key West, I met the folks from Shift Real Estate. And when I heard the Shift story, it made sense to me. It made sense to my kids, and it makes sense to pretty much everybody that's heard about them. Shift Real Estate saves home sellers thousands of dollars on real estate fees. How do they do it? Shift lists for a flat fee of $5,000. You work with a full-time salaried agent. They take professional photos and videos of your home, list it on the MLS, and market your home online, all for a $5,000 flat fee. Call Shift Real Estate and tell them about your home. Tell them that you heard me talking about it, and they will tell you how you can save $10,000 or more when you list with Shift. It's the common sense way to sell your home. Visit Shift2Sell.com. That's Shift, the number two, Sell.com. Because life is expensive enough. Northern Metal Fab right off the interstate in Baldwin, Wisconsin is a custom job shop specializing in large-scale projects. Northern Metal Fab is now hiring for all positions, including welders, painters, and inspectors, to provide quality craftsmanship to their customers. Northern Metal Fab is growing, and their growth is your opportunity. Northern Metal Fab offers competitive pay, excellent benefits, and more. Apply online today at nmfinc.com. That's nmfinc.com. Northern Metal Fab is an equal opportunity employer. Hey, it's Tom again for my good friends at Profile by Sanford. I'm all in with my profile journey, and I'm happy to tell you that I've lost weight and I'm keeping it off. So what's the secret to my success? One word coaching. I have the best, and that has been amazing. Profile, it's not just, weight loss is not just about one thing, you know. It's about putting all of your unique pieces together and really help you reach and maintain your healthy goals. Makes total sense, and it's not hard. Kelly pointed that out. Even you could do it, Tom. I remember you saying that. (laughs) Well, I had faith in you. I knew that uh, you would really love this program. I knew you would really do well on this program. I knew your history with with other programs, and Mm -hmm. like Danette said, what we do is not a one-size-fits-all 
program. Um, and right. we are really, really interested in what's going to work for the individual for the long term. Profileplan.com for a location near you. Oh, and mention promo code KQRS for a special discount. Profileplan.com. That's profileplan.com. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Ian Jenkins, our special guest, Three Dads at a Baby Adventures in Modern Parenting, talking about polyamorous families, talking about a little girl and a little boy, talking about a family. Uh, one thing that just popped up as I was going through the, the descriptor again, uh, Ian, was, um, you know, we did mention IVF failures, the threat of Zika, vi- of Zika virus, the urgent hunt for a new doctor, pregnancy-threatening bleeds, but costly legal battles. Why were there legal battles? Well, um, this was an unusual circumstance for the clinic, and they were unwilling to sort of proceed unless we had a special parenting agreement where all three of us met separately with attorneys and then together to sort of outline what a parent means. And that was a little frustrating for us because I think that's legally defined and commonly understood, but this was one of their requirements, and we weren't in a position really to push back. So that kind of added to things. But the other fundamental problem here is that, you know, when you have um, IVF, you do have to have, it's the state requirement, you do have to have a legal contract with oh, lawyer okay. representation on both sides for everyone that's involved. And that meant, um, you know, because there were three of us and there were multiple women involved in this process, we had just a multiplication of contracts and legal entanglements. Yeah, I, I, see, I never even considered that there would be because it's it's a different thing now. Polyamorous families are a different thing now. I, I never even considered you're going to have to go through all these different legal battles to get where you want to go. I suppose and that's, that's true for anyone who does IVF. You oh, know, it? Okay. Say, um, <clears throat> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's just that there's usually not so many relationships. There's like a, a man yeah. and a wife, and they're using a surrogate because there's female infertility, for example. You've got um, a contract that's represented by a lawyer on both sides. One now, and done. I want to ask you a personal um, question. But because there were three of us and multiple women, it was just many, many contracts. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I'm going to ask you a question. You can tell me it's none of your business or whatever, but it's, it's fascinating. Do you, did you take the time or do you not want to know whose, whose sperm was used? Um, so first of all, we had to choose, right? So oh, we you did? Okay. One okay. person. Right. Um, and then what we ended up doing was deciding to split the available eggs by thirds in the hopes that we might all have the opportunity to be biological parents. Right. Not the most important thing to us, but, you know, right. we you know, had some interest in it. And uh, none of mine actually worked. Um, the dads and the moms are not young people, so we didn't get a million eggs, and just none of mine took off. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when you have IVF, the eggs are separate, and they're, you know, intracytoplasmic uh, injection of a single sperm, so you know exactly which parents are involved and the gender of the kids and that they're genetically normal before you proceed with pregnancy. Oh, so, okay, okay. Yeah, it's sort of built in that you know um, whose kids they are. But what we did just side was that we didn't really care so much about parentage as far as the dad side. Uh, we wanted to have healthy first, and then um, we wanted to have a girl first because we knew that they would kind of mature sooner, be smarter than a boy, and uh, maybe be a better older sibling. So that was the advice of uh, 10 million of our friends, and that's what we went with. That's why we've got an older girl and a younger boy. Yeah, see, that is terrific. And by the way, so I, so I, I'm proud of myself because I had good instincts because I, w- I thought I would have done exactly what you did. Now, I didn't know there were legal requirements to do some of it. But, yeah, you'd want to give everybody a shot to see, to see if everybody could get it done. I mean, I, that, that would be fascinating. So, yeah, I mean, I think it was a smart way to go. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting process. So most people in a relationship, they decide they want to have kids. They just stop using birth control. For us, we had to decide who's going to be the father, who's going to be the mother, who's going to be the surrogate. In what order, like, all these choices come up. So uh, it was definitely an interesting process to sort of think through all those things and figure out what our priorities were. No, I know we only got a couple of minutes left because you're a busy man, but I do have to ask you a question because this is, you know, I've, I, I've not talked to many people in polyamorous uh, 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 families. Do you, okay, like, let's say you, Ian, and Alan are talking about something and then Jeremy does something to upset you. Do you guys both turn on them or do you try to... You try to kind of mend fences as quickly as you can. It, it'd yeah. be interesting having a third person involved in my marriage because then, you know, Catherine could turn on me in a minute. I would never know, right? So you, you got to kind of watch your back at all times because there are three people, or is it pretty much the same? Uh, well, I mean, there's, this, there's a clear difference. So one thing is yeah. you can't just have a 
he said, she said, or he yeah. said, he said, or whatever the yeah. case may be. There's always a third person. And that's why we have odd numbers on judicial panels. So there's never a tie. And we do have this experience of, like, well, I felt that I was in the right, but I see both of you are telling me that things are different than that, so I will respect that. Mm-hmm. And we use that as kind of like a way to have a little more insight and empathy for other people, that we're hearing it from several other people that, you know, it's time to admit you're in the wrong there. So it actually is pretty helpful. And then there's also, if we have minor disputes between two people, the third person frequently functions as a moderator and says, like, listen, I see how he's coming at it from this direction. He's not trying to hurt you, but from from his perspective, it's like that. And sort of being kind of a, a mediator. But we don't really have, uh, you know, there's not major drama, so there's no reality TV show in the works. It's just mostly we're just <laughs> taking care of the kids. and um, You know, we're, we're all on the same page about how to do that and how to take care of each other. So it's a terrific story. Everybody loves everybody. Everybody's getting along. Um, yeah, it's a wonderful story. Ian, it is a wonderful story, and I'm glad you came on the show today. I'm glad you took all the, the, the time to come on and explain to people, hey, you know what? We're a loving, happily, happy family, and I hope you have one, too. That's, that's a great way to look at it, Ian. I appreciate your time, sir. Yeah, very much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Have a good day, sir. You, too. Dr. Ian Jenkins, ladies and gentlemen. Again, the book is called Three Dads and a Baby, Adventures in Modern Parenting. Um, boy, it's, it's a tough road to hoe, I bet, in a lot of situations where, where you're a different kind of couple. I mean, first of all, looking back not more than about 50 years, to have a gay couple at all was unusual. They wouldn't bring it. Not, I shouldn't say unusual, but it wasn't talked about that much. It was unusual to talk about it, I think, is what I meant by that. But now you have um, polyamorous uh, you know, uh, families where there are three men involved, three women involved, whatever the situation might be. But, uh, you know, the world's changing, and let it change. Why would anyone... Look, I do care about the fact that they love one another and they have two kids and there are three of them, and I, I do care about that part. But why would I care that it's not the same setup that I have, right? Do I have to believe that I'm the one who got it right and everybody else got it wrong? I mean, Andy, you're not like that. You don't believe that, that you, you're always right and everybody else is always wrong. Well, I'd like to think I'm not. <laughs> you're not much like that, but... So that's it. I mean, as long as you're good to your kids, as long as you're good to your, uh, you know, your lovers or your loved ones or whatever the hell you want to say, I, I just, I, I just don't understand why anyone cares. Once again, and but, but remember this, and we've been talking about this for a couple of days now. If I don't know you, unless you're dangerous, why do I care what you think? I might mean, like you to accept me, like everybody else, but it's not going to happen. Andy, as you know, there are a lot of people who don't care for me that don't even know me. Mm-hmm. They know nothing about me, but they don't like me. They, don't, they, they know this radio thing, I guess, but they don't know me as a person. But they're convinced that I am this guy and I'm like this. Why do you go out of your way to develop and build things that aren't even true? It's just, I find that to be really, do you find that to be as weird as I do? Not really. Why, but, but why do people, why is it necessary for people to invent things about people so that I can say, oh, I don't like that, or oh, I really love that. Why right. do they do that? I think having a clearly established and defined enemy is a very easy and safe way to live. People, so, people would rather just say, this is the bad guy, we're yeah. the good guy, and this, that's my whole worldview. There's, they don't need to philosophize. They don't need to argue about morality because there is no morality. It's, yeah. If I do yeah. something bad to the bad guy, it's moral because I'm fighting evil. And if he does the same thing to me, well, then it's not moral because he's the evil one and I'm the good one. It's like a, it's just a very simplistic, stupid person way to live. But it's also it takes very little energy, very little time. Yeah, that's true. You know, people would people would rather just be told hate these people and just don't think about it. So just hate them, and that's how it's going to be. Exactly. Well, that's exa- That's how pretty much all. Humans for all human history and even before humans existed, that's how life works. It's like, you know, yeah. you're not part of my pack, so I, if you come into my turf, I'm going to kill you. I don't know why, but that's just how it is because, you know, I'm a wolf and that's how I operate. And cats are the same way. You know, a cat goes onto another cat's turf, they're going to fight. They don't know why. Right, they don't know why. They just do right. it, and humans are the same way. I just don't really understand. I, I've heard from, I cannot tell you how many people I've heard from, and I still to this day hear this from them. Boy, you're nothing like I was told you are. You're not even anything like I was told you'd be or how you are. People that claim to have known you, 
Well, they obviously didn't know you because you're nothing like they said you'd be. I, I do experience that all the time. So that's what it is. I have to make an enemy so I feel more secure in my position. Is that basically what it is? I think so, more yeah. or less. It's just, like I said, it's just people want to live the easiest way they can. See, and I no don't. one wants to think or second guess themselves or any of that. They just want to be secure in the fact that they are always right and everyone yeah. else is always yeah. wrong. And the only way you can live like that is by having a clearly defined enemy. So, and it doesn't matter what the enemy is, as long as you can define yourself as the opposite of that enemy, you can live like that. Oh, so that's what it's all about, is I define myself as the opposite of you, and therefore I can live my life. Exactly. You are evil, and if I am the opposite of you, then that makes me good. Oh, there, but that's a very clear understanding now. It gives me a clear understanding why people think the way they do. Yeah, I mean, look at pretty much, while well, we were talking about the news and uh, the... Uh, entertainment industry right how right. they act that's that's how they act is you it know is, yeah. they especially during the four years trump was in office you know people would say trump is the literal devil so i'm just going to do everything the opposite of him because that makes me good because the opposite of evil is good that's what they believe so trump would do things and say things that they were supporting and all of a sudden, they wouldn't support it anymore. Right. Because right. all the entire uh, framework of their uh, moral philosophy is just do the opposite of the bad guy. That amazing. So they come up with the bad guy just to make themselves look better. Exactly. That is amazing to me that they will. And, they're, and now they're destroying people's lives to make themselves look better. Well, I mean, they, their people have been doing that forever. They pick a bad guy and they turn it into something that it isn't, and then they say, we just have to do the opposite of what that guy's oh, doing. that's weird. <clears throat> that is really, really weird. Or, yeah, look at Europe for all of history, Asia for all of history. Yeah, true. They yep. would pick a country to hate, and then they would uh, model themselves around the opposite of that country. Uh, and people have kind of devolved into doing that with people now. Oh, Instead yeah. of hating oh, nations, yeah. they hate specific people. So question I have for you is, why would you want to waste all that energy? i got to be honest, there are some people that I don't care for at all. I don't like them in any way, shape, or form. But I would never put all that effort into hating them. Well, like I said, it's a waste it's of time. really not, it doesn't take any time or effort, really, if you get down to it. If you become really good at hating people? Basically, yeah. I, guess, I mean, yeah. like, look how much time and effort people have put into uh, moral philosophy. Yep. It's like, you know, is it good to do this? What is good? What is utility, et cetera, et cetera? Why bother thinking about that? Why not just declare yourself good? There you go. Moral philosophy solved in one second. So is the only way you can get past that is have a clear understanding of your life. Like, look, I've had people that I had one guy uh, I, I had known for 45 years screwed me over. Mm -hmm. And I don't waste any time on hating him. The guy's a pig and a piece of crap. Well, that's I don't the want other him thing me, is that I don't hate him. When people do this kind of thing, when they you know create a dragon to slay, they're not. They're almost never doing it. It's the dragon is never something that actually has wronged them in the past. Really, right, right. It's always perceived or imagined slights. It's like you know the average. You take some random seventeen-year-old who's you know thinks they know everything because they're in high school and that's how high schoolers are. Right. They don't hate Trump because Trump ever actually did anything to them. They've never met him. They never will meet him. Right. None of his policies really affect them in any way. But that doesn't really matter. He's very visible. So that's what makes him the uh, chosen enemy. And it makes you part of the crowd. Exactly. You hate him, so now I hate him, so I'm one of yeah, you. They don't hate for a reason. Right. They right. just hate because it's easy. I just I wouldn't waste my energy on hating someone. I have no interest in hating anybody. I don't like some people. I and I really don't like some people. But getting to the point of wanting to harm them, you know, I might, you know, sock one of those guys if I ever see him again. But you know, I don't want to do any real damage. Other but. than that. Other than that. The theft of four gold bars from a shipment sent to Los Angeles to Los Angeles International Airport could send two cargo handlers to prison for up to fifteen years. 
South Los Angeles residents Marlon Moody, 38, and Brian Benson, 35, were arrested Tuesday by the FBI in charges of conspiracy and theft of interstate and foreign shipment after allegedly stealing four gold bars from a shipment of 2,000 gold bars. The shipment, which arrived at LAX on a Singapore Airlines flight on April 22, 2020, en route from Australia to New York, had been arranged by a bank in Toronto, reports NBC News. Employees from a cargo company had secured the shipment outside the airport before a box of 25 gold bars was found to be missing. According to the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Central District of California, Moody claimed to have found it near the airline's cargo warehouse the following day. Prosecutors say that the employee of private cargo handling company Alliance Ground International took the box to a location where he removed four of the bars, each worth fifty. Each bar worth fifty-six thousand dollars. Yep. Gold is insanely expensive. Was it three thousand bucks an ounce or something? Let's see. I mean, it's a lot. I know now. It's a lot of money now. I don't know. I, I don't own any gold, so I don't know anything about it. But gold price is currently worth nineteen hundred an ounce. Oh, it's nineteen hundred an ounce. Okay. You're probably thinking of. Palladium or something? Oh, yeah. I don't really yeah, know. I bet you're right. You're probably right about that. Let's see. Palladium. Or no, plat- oh, yeah, Palladium is 2800 2800 there $2, you $2, go. $2,800 an ounce. An ounce. That is ridiculous. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good price right there, ladies and gentlemen. Prosecutors say the employee of the private cargo handling company, Alliance Ground International, took the bars, four of them, each worth $56,000. He was then picked up by co-worker Benson. They allegedly exchanged text messages about the gold. Why would you do that? Well, like we're talking about, oh, people just can't help God. but brag about how uh, sneaky they are. But you're going to actually put it, uh, leave it there for all to see eventually on digital. Yep. You're going to talk about stealing gold on digital. A lot of people don't oh. really understand how things like text messages work. They don't understand. They think it it's like uh, you know sending a letter. You know. Yeah. It, go, it co- comes from you. And it goes to them, and that's it. But no, it's it's stored on servers. Yes. Uh, your phone company can read every single text you send if yep. they so choose. Yep. Or if they get a warrant. Um, that's uh, that's one thing about computers and the internet is that uh, most of the people in charge of all of that really don't know what it is and how it works which is a big part of the problem. Oh, really? That's why there's so much scamming going on through the Internet. It's because oh, yeah. no one really... The idea of Internet security, you know, they think, oh, let's just encrypt it. We're going to have a, you know, 1024-bit encryption because the old one clearly didn't work well enough. But the vast, vast majority of Internet crime like that, it's not a bunch of hackers in a basement, you know, cracking into the mainframe. It's things like this, people doing dumb stuff. Well, it's pretty amazing that they thought, it, well, here's his advice. Let me see if you agree with this advice. First of all, they did exchange uh, text messages about the gold while other employees were riding in the same vehicle. Prosecutors say Moody later gave Benson one bar, buried two bars in his backyard, and gave the fourth to a relative, telling them to exchange the gold bar for cash or a car. That's the other thing, is that these gold bars are printed and stamped. <laughs> That's why you need a fence. You can't just go to no. the. You just can't. You can't just go to WeBuyGold.com or whatever. You no. have to. No. You have to find someone who's willing to take a hot item God, like that. Unbelievable. And they're probably going to give you what about twenty percent of its value. You're going to walk away with about. Oh yeah. Grand. If you fence something, you're not getting anything near its value. No. But you no, also you, you can't sell it anywhere else. It's like people who steal art. It's like what yeah, are you, what right. are you going to go do? Auction that off? No. No, you are not. The only way you can get any value out of that is by waiting until it's not hot anymore, which may never happen, which is why so much missing art, it never resurfaces. Someone bought it. They did an under-the-table deal, and it's just sitting in someone's basement somewhere where it will never be displayed, never be found, but they just like the fact that they own it. I suppose that's true. Um, So here's the deal. Ladies and gentlemen, other cargo handlers found the infiltrated box of 21 gold bars on April 23rd, prompting an investigation. Within two weeks, the FBI had recovered all four gold bars, including the one Benson allegedly stashed in a bedroom. Moody and Benson each face a statutory maximum sentence of 15 years in federal prison if convicted as charged, which they're, they're going to be convicted. How, how would they not be convicted? Well, yeah, there's plenty of evidence, I would say. I just don't—why would— 
Look, I suppose if it's there and there's 2,000, they're never going to miss four of them. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, they are because of what Andy said. They're stamped. They have serial numbers. Well, and it's worth $200,000. Yes. They're going to miss that, believe me. $224,000. Like, when yep. people embezzle, they embezzle dollars at a time, not $200,000 at a time. No. Even no. a company that's worth a trillion dollars is going to miss hundreds of thousands of dollars eventually. I would think, yes, that no matter who you are, you're going to miss uh, almost a quarter of a million dollars. I don't think there's any question about I mean, about everything that. is relative, but there's, the fact is that that is a lot of money. You can buy pretty much anything a normal person would ever want to buy with $200,000. Yep, I would imagine it's true, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, that's the, look at all we've learned today about you know, stealing gold mm-hmm. and about that. Eh, you know, we had a good guest on, Dr. Ian Jenkins, a really, really good guy, really decent guy. I want to mention this again. Bill Shakespeare, the first man to receive COVID vaccine, has died. He died at 81 of unrelated illness, though. He was the first man to get uh, one woman got it before he did, and he was the first man to get the uh, shot. He has died now of unrelated uh, causes. Not It was not from the vaccination. It wasn't from COVID. It wasn't from none of that. It was unrelated completely, but he has died. Bill Shakespeare has died at 81 years old, and he was very, very happy that he got the shot. He said the vaccination experience was wonderful. So there you go. What do you think of that action? I think it's fine. I think it all works out in the end. Look at that. Andy, you and I got through the entire show together. What do you think of that action? Three no-shows. Should we just fire everybody else on the show and just do you and I'll do it from now on? Everybody else get the hook. Officer Dave, if criminals were smart, his job would be very hard. (laughs) It is true. It is true. You're absolutely right. Kind of cold, but at the same time, it's it's very, very true. Uh, One more minute to go, so I want to close with this. Feds take down Medicare COVID scams. Fraudsters exploited virus fears to bill tens of millions of dollars in bogus claims. So they once again preyed on your fear, your, uh, your fears about the virus and all the rest of it. The Justice Department announced charges Wednesday against more than a dozen people from Florida to California in a series of Medicare scams that exploited coronavirus fears to build tens of millions of dollars in bogus claims. Well, so wait, who's scamming who? Uh, they're scamming the federal government. Ah, uh, okay. Because it's, uh, you know, <clears throat> Medicare, Medicare claims. Medicare is 100%. percent i they didn't claiming they had COVID or something? Uh, well, let me see. Fraudsters allegedly offered COVID-19 tests to get the Medicare numbers of unsuspecting patients oh. and then use that information to bill for lucrative but unneeded genetic tests that can cost thousands of dollars. So they stole people's Medicare numbers. That's exactly what they stole uh. with the Medicare numbers from people. That is going to do it. Tomorrow, of course, is the 2,000th episode yes, of is. the Tom Bernard podcast, family podcast. And so I'm not supposed to tell you who's going to be on. Right? Well, do you want it to? I don't care. Do you well, want it to tell me? Is it supposed to be a secret? I don't think Can't so. exactly announce it on the air if it's supposed to be a secret. How many How many people are there? Uh, we got four. And who who's going to be on the show tomorrow? You want me to say it? Yeah, that's fine. All right. We got uh, Don Shelby, Jeff Cesario, Paul Mercurio, and Louie Anderson. Oh, that's very sweet. Mm-hmm. That's very, very nice. I'm glad to hear that. We shall talk to you today, uh, tomorrow, the 2000s episode with those four people. Catherine will be here. Alex will be here. Mm, Doug Sprinthal will be here. And we'll see you tomorrow. Talk to you tomorrow with the family.